Hey, what's up? This is Evan. And Michael. And this is take two of episode 13. <laughs> we got way off topic. Yeah, it was a little bit crazy there for a minute. I don't know why how that happened. <laughs> Seal right. Team 6, Batman 5, other podcasts. I kind of want to post it now. You know what? I'm going to post... A blooper reel? Yeah, I'm going to post this podcast as 13, and then I'm just going to put the other one up there. Like, this is not a and d <laughs> podcast. This is just funny if you want to listen to it. I don't know where we were going. funny or not. But anyway, so we, we want to talk about a little bit about D&D. And one of the things that we did cover in the last 20 minutes, I, I did want to get back on, is you were talking about how you wanted to do something different. Um, for, as far as a role-playing experience, I mean, we've been playing D&D pretty much now for, I don't know, a year, a year and a half. There's just things that um, really can't be done in the D&D game. That I just have a yearning, like maybe or I it's just do not them. designed well. I mean, you it's just do not it. designed to right. be able to do that. So it would require a lot of um, creativity and like the DM creating some rules and creating. Right. It'd, be, it'd be easier just to find a game. Like I had mentioned the Star Wars role playing game because uh, then you got. Oh, this is where we got into. It, it is how we got on the tangent, <laughs> but we'll we'll rein it in. But we're talking about you know you have ship to ship battles, which you kind of do in D and D, but it's more like you know naval ships not airships or spaceships you have you can go to different planets so every planet can be a different environment a different situation and and i completely understand that i've gone through the same thing many times where i've played D for a while it's like you know how many times can you play the same medieval fantasy heroic thing you want to do something different whether it's a you know superhero type game marvel or mutants and masterminds or dc or a space one star trek star wars or just generic like the gurps role-playing system it's just a natural evolution of the game that eventually you want to do something different. But I've always found that once I played that other game once or twice, I'm like, I'd rather be killing goblins. And I always want to go back to playing D&D. It's, yeah, but, I, and I might do that too, but I still want to do it. I've just never, I've, at least you've done it. I've never played anything else. And I really like the idea of um, steampunk and cyberpunk. Okay. I like the the steampunk, kind of could take place in a D&D world but there's just techno there's different technology like the 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 world that we're playing in in my game right now could be the same setting um the same mountains open land coast these cities same thing just different people and technology right there's a train and giant spiders one mechanical mechanical stuff and cyberpunk i think is pretty cool but i like the steam steampunk kind of reminds me of the dark tower and like the gun some of the gunslinger settings right. and stuff like that i know we've played Shadowrun a couple times nico i think is a fan of Shadowrun. i played it with the old group and it was okay but i don't know there's just something about D and the medieval fantasy that just really appeals to me but my second favorite is superhero like if, if i'm not going to play D and my my number two choice is almost always going to be a superhero, and in, and I don't have a particular setting. I played Mutants and Mastermind a couple times. I played Marvel back a long time ago and it was terrible. I haven't played the new versions, but there's just something about the superhero genre that I also really like because we were talking about the Batman movies before. Uh, so I'm I'm cool with that. Uh, I wasn't a huge fan of Shadowrun, but again, that's just the game I was in. Maybe the the DM probably had nothing to do with the system. But I'm all for trying something different. I mean, keeping things fresh. Like we even rotate games now and that's one of the topics we wanted to get into is when that rotation is a good thing and when it becomes a bad thing and you know does it sometimes become a campaign killer um so for our example right now is that we didn't really have a choice we had a key 
we had a, a main story with only three players, only three PC. PCs, and one of them had to leave for a month or a month and a half. Yep. And that player is has been in the story since the beginning. They're an integral part of the story. Um, so we just had to quit. We didn't even really think about continuing. We were like, okay, we got to do something right. else. So that was, which I'm sure is a big reason for jumping to another story. Right. And and there are probably certain games that are set up that are more modular that that could work. And then you could just have your PC and Rob's PC do a side mission and you could come up with a game like Grexel is doing something else. But in the game we're currently playing, you're out like in the middle of the desert surrounded by a band of elves. Like you can't just say Grexel's not there. I really like don't want to be out there without Grexel. <laughs> like, Grexel is such a big strong guy that I mean, there was like one time in the game where I literally jumped on Grexel's back and he ran out of danger. Yeah. With me on his back protecting me. And I don't know if I would have got through it without without, without him. Yeah, and I just think there's probably ways that it could work, but our our game the way it's playing out it would not make sense for a character not to be there for that many sessions. I mean, we're talking four to five sessions without um, one of the main three characters. So now we've started my game, and it's just you and Rob, and you guys are, seem to be enjoying yourself. Yeah, it, you know, it's it the the game itself is kind of small so far, and that's not to say that it's not going to get big, but it's you know we went into one small town. There's only like ten or eleven really people in the town we interacted with, probably even less than that. Uh, so the story itself is kind of small. So being two players. Excuse me. I'm not normally a fan of that. Like, I think three or four is usually the best number. But it's working out, and I think Rob and I are are doing a good job role-playing off of each other. And, and, uh, again, I'm having fun. I'm having fun to the point that even though Nico is coming back next week, we're going to play your game again rather than switching immediately back to mine. And, you know, I think part of that is that just as the DM, as I've said before on this podcast before, I like to recharge my batteries. And, some like, I'm having fun playing right now. So I don't want to mess with that. I want to, you know, play three or four more sessions, two or three, whatever, whatever you feel comfortable running. And then once we go back to my game, I should be good to go for several sessions. I can't wait to get back to your game because it's the most fun I've had. But I have confidence in this game. I think I think it's better planned out than my last game. Um, better story than my last so game. This isn't necessarily what, where we were going, but again, at the heart of this podcast is supposed to be someone who's new to DM and or wants to be a DM, how they can be successful at it. So why don't we hit on that? Because you ran your first game, which we've talked a lot about. So how is the second game better from your perspective as a DM? What did you do differently? Or, or why do you think it's a better game or you're more prepared? The way the story... The, the central idea of the story, I think, is, is better because in the, in the other game that I ran, the first game that I ran, I had a long linear line planned out. So, um, w- like, ahead of time, I planned out that <clears throat> you guys were in this town, um, you had to... Basically, over the course of, like, a month to two months, I had planned out that you had to go through certain steps to get to this end thing. Like, you had to find this empty box. Then you had to speak to this person. Then you had to find this horn, and he was going to tell you something. Then you had to fight. I knew you were going to fight this player, this uh, NPC. Then it was going to all 
you know, and I, I had that long line, that storyline planned out and I ran into problems going into it because I felt like you guys were too railroaded. I didn't know if you were having fun. You were, I, I was felt like I was spoon feeding you the story instead of you guys being able to um, interact more with the environment and explore and create some of the story for yourself. The reason that I'm so much more excited and have more confidence in this story is because there's one main plot idea that you guys haven't learned yet. And I think you'll get to it in the next game and re and realize it. And then what happens after that, I don't have planned out. There's, there's one main idea that when you learn it's gonna I think you guys are gonna have to sit back and sit down and go okay where do we go from here we don't like we don't really know what to do um and then when that happens that's gonna allow me when I see what direction you guys want to take it that will allow me to finish writing the story in a way that will work for what you want to do. Like I haven't planned out the ending because I think it's going to be cool that when you learn this one main plot point, like why the world works the way it is, like why you are who, who you are and then see what you decide you want to do with it. Then I can then come up with the ending or come up with the story after that. That's going to fit what you want to do. Okay. So it is it, as much the way you prepared or just the type of game that you're running that you think has made this one more comfortable for you? I've learned a little bit in that, like, what, um, I'm, I feel like I'm really doing more of what, uh, Rob said in the last podcast, where when you're doing the sandbox, you need to just come up with the key players and you've told me this before too. Come up with the key players, the key NPCs, why they're there, and what their motivations are. And that gives you enough to be able to, because you can't have, <clears throat> when a player character meets a non player character, you can't write out the conversation ahead of time. Which in my last game, I actually did. You tried, or you tried I to. I tried to like write out, like, Okay, when when the players meet this guy, they they have to learn this part of the story. So I had I tried to write out like what he was going to say. And you can't do that. It's just unnatural and it's not organic. So what I've do been doing in this story is just when I first I came up with the main plot idea, which is who you guys are, where you came from, and your purpose. And you don't know that yet. But around that, I wrote a backstory that is what happened a long time ago, what that person did that led to this, what that um, led to to where you are right now. I wrote the backstory. I haven't written anything forward. And all I've done is write, is write down who the key players are in the backstory. Um, are they still alive? Are they dead? What they've been doing this whole time and 
what is their what are they doing right now and what is their current motivation right now and once i've come up with all of that it's been easier because that's enough to that when you guys get in a uh, role-playing situation like where, where you meet somebody and now we have to talk and dialogue and everything I can kind of slip into the mindset of that person. Like, okay, I don't have his dialogue planned out, but I, I, I know enough of what his motivations are and what he wants to get out of this to role play the situation in a natural way. You've, you know, you've mentioned several times how d d is kind of like improv, and mm-hmm. I think that's you know, almost spot on to how that would work. But if you and I were getting ready to go do a scene in like an improv class, the, the instructor or another student would say, okay, you know, you're a businessman, you're the hotel clerk, and your room's not ready. Go. Yeah. You know, and then we just have to kind of put ourselves in the mindset of that character. You, and that's what you've done there is like, okay, I know this guy is a ruthless, you know, businessman. He's like a gang leader, criminal organization, whatever. He definitely wants what's in his best interest, but he's not opposed to working with these players if they can help him. That's enough to get into the situation and – role play and ask questions and, and, you know, evolve the story as you go, rather than going, he will try to kill them or, or that, yeah. he, you know, he's going to turn around and pet his cat and throw him in the shark tank. You can't say like this per like when, you know, when they meet this person, he's going to attempt to kill them. Maybe you can, because that person is just inherently evil or something, but the players might not treat that person when they run into him the way you expected them to. And then if you, go ahead with that and say, okay, he pulls out a knife, he's stabbing you. How the hell? I just baked him a cake and (laughs) he blew out the candles. Why is he killing me? So I think the biggest thing that I've learned and the biggest thing that's helped me is don't write the story from where you are forward. Write the story from where you are backwards. Because just like you said in an improv class, the teacher might go, okay, you are an astronaut. And your ship has just crashed on a planet and um, you're scared. Uh, You don't know what to do. You have little food. And Michael, you're an alien and you're behind a rock and you were, you know, hiking with your son. So he's giving you everything that's happened up to this point, but he's not giving you anything that's going to happen. That's Mm -hmm. up to you. Right. And I think that that's more the way I've approached this. And I think it's it's. That combined with I have a lot of faith in this one story, like the main thing that the story is about that I think is going to be cool and you guys are going to like, that this is a much more enjoyable experience so far for me as a DM. I like it a lot better than my last story. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying it. I'm having a lot of fun, like I said, to the point that I want to keep playing it for a while longer before we go back to mine. Uh, even though I, like, you know, I'm kind of excited about my game, I still think it's going really well. And there's a couple, even though I, we talked about in one of the last podcasts, uh, I'm screwed up majorly. <clears throat> I'm still trying to figure out exactly how I'm going to fix that. There's some, what I think, really cool reveals about to, to, to show up pretty soon. Uh, and I think you guys will get a glimpse into this larger world that's been around you the whole time that you haven't been aware of. Uh, and I think that'll be a cool reveal. Excuse me. <clears throat> but one of the other things I wanted to talk about... Uh, which which fits in exactly to what we're talking about is is backgrounds for the characters themselves, and when you created, how much detail should you have? What what role does that play in your character going forward? And just because it's fit into the discussion, I think the the background of the character, for me, 
I don't necessarily want to have everything that's ever happened ever to a character. And I know there are players that do that. They'll, they'll write almost like a bibliography. You know, I was born in this town. I have two siblings. This happened and this happened, this and this happened, this happened. And now I'm here in this, this game going forward. And they use those, that information to help decide what they're going to do in certain situations, which there's nothing wrong with that. But I think it's more interesting and in some cases easier to wait till a situation happens, react to it, and then work backwards and go, okay, well, why would my character have reacted that way? And then work, okay, so maybe I had a teacher that, you know, originally I was supposed to be a, a baker because that's what my dad did. And he sent me off to apprentice with another baker and he treated me like crap and he treated his family like, you know, I was basically an indirected servitude to them. So that's why when I walk into this bake shop, I'm an asshole to the guy. You know, and I'm just kind of working backwards rather than forwards, I think that makes it a little bit... One, it's easier. You don't have to spend all this time. And two, I think it makes a more interesting character because you don't, you don't ever have the chance. Well, I can't deviate. As we mentioned in the last, po- po- <clears throat> the last podcast with Rob, I, you know, I cannot do X because of what happened to me in my background, even though X is the thing I need to do to make the story move forward. I think it's easier to do X and then figure out why I'm able to do X and put it into my background. I don't know if this is exactly what you're talking about, but in the... In the last two games that we've played, which has been my story, the thing with the guy visiting you when you were a kid and um, he gave you something that you've held on to and he gave Rob something that Rob's held on to and then that helped at a certain point you realized that that was like a tool that you needed to figure something out. Did any of that feel forced or organic or did it just feel like it was part of the story? The only thing I would say is it it probably, excuse me, the way it kind of works, we played like one session and then you gave us that background information. And part of that was we were still trying to figure things out for ourselves anyways. So the, the time space between when you told me certain things about what happened to my character and then told me that I have this, this thing and then the timing that I got to use that thing was really short. So it did feel it kind was too too quick. Mm-hmm. So you know, it, and it's a game. It's not Lord of the Rings. But if I had had that information, and it was like eight sessions in before it came out, it would have felt less of a here you go. You know, here's a key, and there's the door that it goes into. It was, it was a little too quick. Well, that's so. Like I didn't put a lot of effort I didn't put really hardly anything into your own character's backgrounds I created the story and the background of the NPCs and where you guys came from but there wasn't I didn't do a lot of your own backgrounds and then when I figured out okay they have to have something they have to have some reason for finding this certain path and then I re- and I realized okay it the what does make sense for the story is that if this guy came and visited them when they were young. Now, they should already know that, but I but they don't because right. I just came up with it and I didn't tell it to them before we started. But it does at this point it does make sense. So I'm going to go ahead and tell them that you know, this new information that they should have known their whole lives but they just found out about it. Right. 
So And that's D and D. It happens in every game every every day that you have to retcon something like, Oh, by the way, you had a, a wizard that has terrible scars he was your teacher just remember that which do you think that that is basically what hap- is what happens in um like intelligence checks or wisdom checks like if there's like if uh i want to we're like if the players are on a ship and they're trying to navigate and one person goes well i want to look at the stars and see if i can figure out which direction we should be going and you go yeah okay roll an intelligence check and they roll really high and then you make something up. You're like, okay, you remember reading a book, or you remember somebody reading a book a long time ago to you about constellations and stars, and you memorized some parts of that book, and from what you're looking at, it makes sense that you think you should be going this way. Right. As the DM, you know you're telling them the right way to go, and they think that they know the right way to go too. But what you just told them was never known to them or part of their backstory right. well, before. Two things about that. One is, as I've said before, is if, if if they fail, the story stops. They don't even have them roll because there's always a chance they're going to roll a one, and then you're you're screwed. And two, I would have them tell me as a player, say, okay, you rolled really high. Obviously, you know this. What in your background, did, you know, allowed you to do that? And allow them to make up. Oh well, I spent one summer with my uncle who you know used to be a, a fisherman or whatever. So again, you're 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 creating background as the story goes, but it still stays in the background. Um, you know, intelligence checks are, are one of those that usually it's just a way for the DM to justify telling something the player wasn't smart enough to, enough to figure out on their own. Okay. Like you, how to use the lenses and the, yeah, to get the building. I should, I wanted to do more of that, but I didn't. Right. And that's one of the things I wanted to ask, and this is, it probably won't make a lot of sense on the podcast, but I felt like I was figuring out things really quickly in your game. And I'm not sure if I was figuring them out or if you were just letting me be right every time. It's like. Okay, yeah, that's right. Most of the time, I was letting you be right. Okay, that's kind of what I, I was. It was it. Um, did it work in a fulfilling way? Well, I mean, my like, character is supposed to be that smart guy, mm-hmm. so the fact that I was able to figure things out made me feel good. But I kept thinking, am I supposed to be figuring it out this fast, or is just everything that I try that makes sense? You're saying, sure, that that's exactly what I meant. <laughs> when you had the telescope. And you were looking at the building from, you started looking at the building like at night and then during the day and then from far away and moving around. That's not the way way that I had you figuring it out. And I didn't know how to get you to my way. Right. So I didn't, so I just let you go and to see what you were going to do. And then... There was maybe five minutes or ten minutes where you were doing stuff, maybe just five minutes. It probably felt like more, but maybe just five minutes of you doing stuff and trying, like, trying to figure out well, how does this thing work, and nothing was really happening. But then, at about five minutes, for some reason, for some reason, you just did something, or for some reason, an idea popped in my head and was like, "What he's okay? What he's doing right now? I could tell him this, and that would make sense." And so that's when I started saying, like, okay, this, you see this lining up, and Rob, you see a flash of light, and it's lighting something up, and that was just made up. Right. I didn't, didn't want to stop you. There's no way to stop you and say, you're an idiot. 
it wasn't like the situation was a puzzle, like a box. Like a box. There's a box in front of you, which I shouldn't be talking about because that's going to happen. <laughs> Never mind. Well, <laughs> the one thing that I'll say is is what happened is uh, Rob and I, are, both our characters, ended up with a lens that we eventually figured out were two pieces of the same spyglass. And both of our lenses had these weird scratches on them. And eventually we were able to line up the scratches so it made an image. That was all planned. That was all planned. And then we figured out what that image was. So we figured, okay, well, if we go to where we can see the real image that makes that, that this looks like, there'll be something there. And it turned out we were right. It was a very cool scene. But in my head, what I, what I thought would have been funny is while I was in the town, because basically I was in like this big town walking backwards with a spyglass trying to line up the, the correct distance and angle, is rather than seeing what I'm supposed to get at, the place that I was standing would have been something like a trap door or something. <laughs> so like I, fall in. I, I got, Oh, perfect. And then I, no, I fall down into like a, dungeon. that would be funny. That would be very funny. If I could go back, I would have done it that way. <laughs> I kept thinking that would be great if that happens. I wasn't sure if it would, but I just thought that would be the, the close enough to what we think. But it's far enough way to be funny situation. That's a, it's hard to add humor or a joke to a scene, like a pre-planned, thing that's going to happen that's going to be funny so far i haven't tried i've in either of the stories i've never tried to do that like pre plan a joke or something funny to happen um i did i think i did a good job um in the first game of seeing an opportunity to do something funny which is just when you guys went into the tavern and you wanted you were brand new in the town. You went into the tavern. You wanted to sit down and get something to eat and drink, and you were still just scoping every place out. I thought, okay, what if this bartender is just really weird? Just really weird in a funny way. Um, and so I just tried to see what I could do with that. And I think it led to some funny things happening. Right. But there wasn't any, like, pre-planned jokes or anything. Yeah, like I mean, it that. wasn't like, you know, ha-ha, rolling on my floor, but... It was funny. It was interesting. And, and we caused us to want to interact with him again mm-hmm. on a couple occasions so that because we had an, we had fun interacting with him because he was unusual and weird. The the one thing that I'll say that I did with Julius, that character was Julius, and he was the bartender or just like the server. And his brother ran the place and his brother See, I totally thought those kitchen. guys were gay. Like, I totally thought you were saying Oh, they're up. brothers. Oh, okay. I thought they were just like a... His couple. brother is like the smart intelligent one and he stays in the back and you never see him right. and when king comes in king always talks to his brother never talks to julius um but what and i king is the name not the title it's not the king it's a guy named a king. guy named king yeah right his name is longer that i wrote it out but i you guys don't know it i never okay. told it to you but um what i did really like that came out of that was when you got when when you guys started talking to Julius, he was this kind of quirky character in a weird way that wasn't all there. Um, but he was really extremely nice and extremely friendly. And in my mind, he's this really big brooding guy, um, but just a little dopey. But just wants to be friends with everybody. He could kill you, right? But he doesn't even really know that he could. Um, 
but your character, you your background is like you're really intelligent and you've you have swindled a lot of people. And so what it led to that I I, I kind of felt like I was giving you some what do I call it? Like you know how sometimes a DM and a player and a DM's NPC and a player's PC can almost be in conflict with each other. Like if you have a, a DM that's maybe attached to an NPC or doesn't, or doesn't want, like if you, the player, you're playing your player character, you never, you don't want to be the butt of a joke. So like if you, if somebody else at the table, like says like something quick witted to you, you'll usually try and like respond back. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're defending your, your character as a DM. Sometimes you, I feel like I, you don't, you can do that same thing. Like you're role-playing an NPC, but you, and you don't want that. You don't want to let your NPC look like the butt of a joke or appear to be weak or something like that either. And so what you were do, trying to do a couple of times was outthink Julius basically on the tab and get him to make a mistake so that you would get, like, he would give you money back. Right. But he would walk away and be a little confused, but be like, well, he said it was right, you know. And I just let you do it. Right. And I felt like that was a good thing where I just gave you this situation that made sense to your character. And instead of, I could have I had Julius go, no, that why are you trying to swindle me? Right. Or no, that doesn't well, make and, sense. And there's a great point there I want to bring out, and this happens a lot with, 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 I'll say with, I say it happens a lot within my experience that you have a character and my, my character is a great example that in my background, I state that he's basically a con man, that that's his, his primary sin, you know, employment is he goes into towns and he sets up situations where he gets money and it's great to have that background. But usually when you start playing the game, it never comes, it never play. happens. Like, you know, as a player, I want to set up a con and the DM either just doesn't want to isn't smart enough or, or just doesn't have time, the, the plot keeps getting in the way. So then this thing that's an integral part of my character never actually happens. And you feel kind of cheated. It's like, I'm supposed to be really good at swindling people, but every time I try, they're smarter than me. Yeah. How have right. I, exactly. I, I survived for 20 years as a con man? And as, and the, as the DM, you could just like relax on the control a little bit, basically. And just let it happen so that this, basically, like, you were like, no, I gave you that money. Or, we worked it out, remember? I gave you that money. And as the DM, I can just play my character as, like, oh, yeah, now I remember. And, right. And you you get away with this con that makes sense for what your character's personality is and what you're supposed right. to do. But I'm not killing anybody. I mean, no. It's not going to harm us. But it's a way that makes me feel like I've been rewarded. It's a little... It, it's a it, moment. I it's a little I, bit deeper into role playing that character, right. and also, and I think to your point, I thought that the, the you mentioned that I'm trying to say this is I didn't take advantage of that situation as a player. Mm-hmm. I could have been like, okay, this guy's really kind of dumb, and just tried to like gouge the crap out of him to the point that it would have become obvious, and then the townspeople would have turned against me. I think I came out like three silvers ahead. I mean, I by no means fleeced this guy, but it was fun to be able to say. Yeah, I tricked this guy into getting a free drink, or I got a couple of silvers back. And the one point that was kind of funny was right as we were leaving the town, I walked in. I was like, hey, you still got that money you were holding for me? It, 
completely like a like a one off side sort of conversation. And he's I said something like two gold, and he really freaked us like, no, I was just kidding. It was just two silver. So I mean, again, I think and then he ended up giving he, you two silver. Right. So you allowed me to do what my character supposedly does, mm-hmm. and at the same time, I didn't say, "Okay, great," and just fucked your NPC up the ass. And at the same and, time, and took it, advantage of the situation. It was. It's also kind of that improv rule where you had an idea that you thought, if I do this or say this, it it, it could be funny. And when you stepped in and said, "Hey, you still got that two gold you owe me," I immediately knew you were full of shit. But as the and I could have taken that scene away from you. I could have made Julius go, I don't owe you any gold. But that wouldn't have really made sense of how I was playing him before. So I just let you have the scene. I let you say, hey, you got that two gold you owe me? And he went, uh, yeah, it's right over here. And you were like, I'm just kidding. It's two silver. Which you were still cheating him. Right. But it was harmless and it added to the scene. And added, and I think it's that Im, it goes back to that improv thing where just say yes. Just think, just try to say yes. Right. Be, you know, it don't, you don't have to take, if it's harmless, you don't have to like take it away. Right. And also what I thought was it gave like that, that also the fact that you didn't run with it and then try to take advantage of him. That I think we'll give the DM a little bit more trust that, okay, the more I, if I, if more I do this and more I give you the scene and let you kind of have control of the scene, you're not going to derail my story and derail where this scene is going. You're, you'll just, you have something, an idea in mind. I trust that it's not anything crazy that's going to like ruin this scene. So just, do it. It's just a little bit of fun for me. It fulfills my character. It gives me that moment. We always talk about every character should have a moment during each game. What I thought was an awesome moment was there was was that you guys were con men, and then when the bandits attacked, everybody left, and there was nothing but money left all over the <laughs> tables. And I really was like, "Oh, what are they gonna do? Yeah. Like, are are you just gonna go over and maybe pick up one gold and slip it in your pocket?" But you didn't. Nope. And that, again, was enough that made me go, okay, I can do more of this. I can give them more of these funny opportunities, these these little decisions, and I trust that they're not going to like run with it and try and take advantage of me. Because in the move in a movie, that would have been that's a funny scene. Like these two con men <laughs> come into town. And everybody gets up and runs away. They don't know why, but everybody left their money all over the table. Now the camera is on these two con men sitting at their table, Just and they're looking left and right at all this money. At all this money, and they're like, "This is why we're here." <laughs> yeah. Okay, but if in the movie, if they get up and start clearing off all the tables and putting all the money into a bag, they still have to spend another two days at that town. Eventually, everybody's going to come back and go. You were the only ones here. Right. We know you took the money, and then it's ruined. Like, the stuff that you were supposed to find out in that town right. never would have happened. And that's, you know, again, playing my character, he's not a thief in, in that regard. He wants to get away with something, and you not know it. So if I just took that money, it it wouldn't have fit my character's personality. That's That's the biggest reason why I didn't do it. Secondly, it wasn't that much money. I mean, if it was, like, thousands of gold pieces... I probably would have done it. You won more than that in yeah, a card I, hand. I, I was already coming up or something. But like the that. thing I want to mention real quick about what you're saying is in most of my games, I don't keep up with gold pieces that much. 
unless like the character's like, oh, we need to buy, you know, we have to buy this certain item to do something and that becomes part of the quest and you got to save up money and it, it's part of the story. I don't really care that whole, all that much. So for me as a player, like I would have no problem as you as a DM, like every time I go into town, I basically never have to buy food. And it's just assumed that I'm always conning enough or tricking or quick changing the waitress so that I never really have to pay for food. Cause it's not like we're really tracking that anyways. But again, it makes me feel really good about a choice I made. And then eventually when it, I do run up against a serving girl who's like, no, no, you gave me two silver. And then you do this. That makes her interesting. Maybe I want to get to know that person or, or the, the waiter or the serving, the bartender, the fact that they're smarter than me or as smart. I instantly have a level of respect with that, that I may want to interact with them. And it turns out maybe they're part of a, a guild and, and there's a story element there. But if every serving girl and every bartender is too smart for my con, then I just feel stupid What's for making the point that, of, of me even making having that, that part of your story. Right. I mean, it takes, it takes away from your character. It takes right. away from, yeah. So I thought that was a good thing on your part. And again, my, that whole social contract, I didn't take advantage of it because I want you to let me do more. So I think in that case, it was a very small part of your story, but it was like perfect. You know, what mm -hmm. you did and what I did both worked out. We both had a good time. <clears throat> we both felt satisfied with how it, how it resolved itself. Like you, you as the player came out ahead over the DM in that situation. But I think what you need to realize as a DM is that you need to step back and see that even letting the player come out ahead in that situation, that makes you come out ahead too. That makes them like you more. That makes them want to participate more. That makes your story a little bit better. Instead of um, taking it down to a smaller level where, like, it's my NPC, it's what my NPC says against what your NPC says, and I want to come out on top of this conversation. Right. I mean, it's just like we talked about before with combat. If a DM wants to kill a character in combat, they will do it without any fudging of dice. You just have to put a creature or a monster or a number of opponents that we can't win against. Or crit. Or crit seven crit. times in a row. Right. Crit. But you want to make the battles interesting. You want them, you know, most of the time, I mean, there's a story almost behind it, but usually a, a battle is there to create some tension, some excitement, and, and a sense of accomplishment. Our interaction did all three of those same things, but they weren't combat. We didn't have mm -hmm. to roll any dice, but I had a sense of accomplishment. There was some tense moments, because like, what happens if he calls me out on this? You know, mm -hmm. did I go too far? Am I going to turn everybody against me? And then that reward when I got a little something extra, I made me feel good. So it was the same sort of psychological benefit of having a combat that I do well in outside of combat. And I think that is fant fantastic way to run a game because combat is only a small portion of the game. If, for most people, if you're playing a game that's very tactical combat driven and you enjoy that, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But the type of game that we like to play I like to do the exploration, and we got to do that in your game, the whole figuring out the puzzle and, and moving the, the lenses around so they lined up the right way and then finding what, where we had to go to see what we had to see. <clears throat> so there were exploration elements. There was a couple combats. Uh, you know, there was the role playing. So, like, you hit every, every mark you needed to hit as a DM in that game. I think that's why I'm having so much fun is it's not like it's a slaughter fest where my character is this big combat guy. And it's not like it's just a puzzle game, and it's not like it's just a role-playing game. We're getting to do all three of those elements a little bit, and they're all rewarding. So that's I'm having a lot of fun in your game for those reasons. I also like my character a lot, which, you know, is always helpful. And, you know, I, I like who I'm playing. I want to explore more of that. 
So I'm having a lot of fun in your game. That just that little situation, <coughs> Julius and the money after the game was over, that just stuck out to me in my head as something that I needed to like lock away and remember that and go. If you do more of that, that was a good moment. If you do more of that, you'll get better. Mm-hmm. So that was just like one thing that happened in the game. When something happens like that, you should notice it and remember it and and right. try to do more of it. Well, and, and not trying to beat this horse to death, but um, just going back to the fact that right as we were about to leave town, I wanted to go back in and just one more time mess with him and get a little bit of extra gold. If he was not interesting or if that wasn't fun, I never would have even thought about that. That's true. Yeah. I mean, it was like a callback. It's like, i got to get in, interact oh, with this guy. Oh, we're about one, to leave town, but I, I got wonder one what more, Julius is doing. Yeah, I got one more shot at talking to this guy. And I think that that's a win for you to realize that, that I wanted to go interact with him again. That was the first time I've ever done that with an NPC. Like, uh, create a, perso- a NPC personality. That's the first time I've ever done that. They're not just NPC number one, NPC number two. In my first game, that's basically what they were. The purpose of them being there was not to give you a role-playing experience. It was to give you a piece of information or an item or just something along your way. Whereas that was more of, this will be a role-playing experience that will be just as much fun. Let's just see what happens when they interact. And then the other thing I want to mention that I thought Rob did that was fantastic. Um, He's playing a half-orc. He's a fighter, kind of playing barbarian-ish, but he's not a barbarian. He's a, he's a fighter, and uh, as we as we were interacting in the town, they serve rat on a skewer, and he had talked about how he was taking the grease from the rat drippings and putting it into his hair. He has mm-hmm. like a top knot, and it, it, when he did it the first time, I know it was just like a character thing, you know, just keeping his not, top knot shiny, but then later he got to use the fact that he put grease in his hair. When he was having like a contest of arms, and he's like, okay, I'm going to take some grease out of my hair and coat the weapon before I give it to him. And I was like, that's freaking awesome. Like, Genius. I was so happy with how that played out because I guarantee he did not think ahead of time, I'm going to put the grease in my hair to use it. Or it, maybe he did, but I'm 99% pretty sure he didn't. But when the opportunity presented itself, he's like, oh, wait, yeah, I put grease in my hair. And it was just great. And I, I just thought that was a fantastic element where, again, he was rewarded for something his character did. Because you allowed the the guy who then had to throw that weapon, he got negatives because there was grease on the hand. Yeah. So again, it, it was a small win, but it was a win for his character. I thought it was awesome. Well, let's take that <coughs> let's take that into uh, character backgrounds, and because I think that something that I'm doing in this game in this situation is. I don't really even know anything about your characters. And I'm try and I'm kind of trying not to pay attention to it. Like I don't know if you're a fighter. I don't know if you're a rogue. And I don't know what Rob is either. Um I know you're a human and I know that Rob is a half orc. Right. But I'm trying I'm I really don't care. I'm kind of seeing what you guys just do in the moment and in the story to see who your character is instead of trying to write things ahead of time and be like, well, this is Michael is a human fighter who grew up here, who this does this. So, so it makes sense if in this part of the game, you know, this happens. 
I'm trying to kind of get rid of that and just you are who you are based on what you do at the moment in the story. And the character background for me is kind of unimportant right now. And I'm kind of doing that thing that I said earlier where if something, as long as it doesn't become too, um, hokey is not the right word, but when in doubt, that's the word I throw in. As long as it doesn't become too hokey, if some, if I need to put something in for the background, like I did with the lens and the guy coming to see you, I'll do that. I'll put right. that in and say, okay, also, you need to remember this or you need to know that this happened. So do you think that your character background in in this game is a really big part of what you and Rob are doing? Or do you feel like you're more just like doing what comes naturally in the moment? And I really say it's, it's probably a combination, like it's always going to be. Because I don't have a really well-detailed-out background. Basically, I said he was a con man, and that's it. I don't have any specifics on which cons I've run or, or any enemies that I've made or any you know um, love interests I have in other towns. All I know is that my guy's a con artist. So every time I've gone into a situation, I think, okay, well, what would a con artist do in this situation? But I, I'm a fighter, but I'm playing him like a rogue. I mean, he's very roguish in the way I act, but he... I wanted to play a fighter in D&D next because I haven't done that yet. I wanted to see how it worked. So I wanted to play him a fighter, but I'm basically playing him as a rogue. So so it's kind of a combination. Like, I'm doing what I think a con man would do, but I don't have a lot of baggage yet. But again, I'll, I'll do that retroactively. Like, as I do things, I'll, I'll try to work backwards and figure out why. So if I decide not to con somebody in a particular situation or if I decide to go straight into a combat in some situation, I'll probably work backwards and figure that out. See, the... The the character background thing I think came came to hurt me in one of my games because I wrote a background for Samson. Samson that was a I thought that this was a cool concept for a character. He used to be a leader. He used to be basically like a squad leader or a team leader for um, a group of specially trained fighters, but. On one of his missions, he was ambushed or something happened or he was like um, somebody tipped off somebody and his team was killed and he was the only one left alive and he barely survived, but he made it out. And now he kind of fights with the idea of his fallen team in his head, but he's a scary. He doesn't want to be a leader. He's scared to be a leader. Um, he doesn't want to be in charge. So I had this background that I wrote, and then I was trying to play each situation, keeping in mind his background. Like, so what hurt me and what I felt hurt it was that like there was lots of times where I wanted to step in, and because I didn't see where these like decisions being made in our group and our party. But I w- and, but I was trying to stay in character and just sit back and be like, okay, I'm not in charge of this. I don't make decisions, but. Sometimes we would sit there for 10 minutes or longer maybe and not do anything. And so I was stuck to this background. I was was railroaded by this background to be a certain way. And I didn't have the option to really organically come up with the character in the moment. And I think that I kind of like it better. I kind of like it better when there's less background because that leaves more opportunity open for character development in the story. Right. Well, 
a couple things I want to talk about there. First of all, I mentioned this is something I, I got off of a guy on Fitter, uh, a guy I follow on Twitter. Fitter. I Fitter. And I mentioned before, he goes by the, the moniker of the Angry DM. And even when I don't agree with him, he's, his, his comments and his posts and stuff are very insightful and very well done. And he, he did some stuff recently on background, which is kind of what got me interested in thinking about it. And it, basically what he said is that background is background. If it, was, if it was that interesting, we'd be playing that. You know, it's just like a movie or a story. They have these interesting backgrounds, but if it was really that interesting, that's the story you would read. But you're not. You're reading this story here, and it's in the background. So don't get too caught up in creating these most elaborate stories, because if your background's more interesting than what you're doing, that's a problem. Uh, but the thing with Samson I just want to talk about, because I've done the same thing before, and he goes back to the improv, is I've wanted to play the silent type. Um, and basically, we were playing Shadowrun. And that's of, what Samson was. Right. He was like the silent uh, presence where with, if and when he ever talked, it meant something. You know, and people would like stop and, you know, shit, he hasn't said anything in three weeks. This must be important. And I was basically playing a version of Snake Eyes from G.I. Joe in the Shadowrun. Had the mask on, no lips because that was stupid in the movie. Um, never said anything. Like, I was, like basically, it was a mute. And it was terrible. It's very, very difficult in a role-playing game to play a character who doesn't talk much, or in my case, not at all, unless there's at least one other person who's just just bought in with you like an improv and and plays your foil. Like That's Snake Eyes the... has Duke, and Duke would always be like, okay, Snake Eyes, I need you to do this. If no one's telling you what to do and, and, and helping you, or occasionally asking Samson, like, hey, I really need your input here. I know with your background... I need your expertise and draw on you out a little bit, then all you do is just sit in the corner and not say anything and it gets mm-hmm. really, really boring. So unless you've got other people bought into your background and are going to help you, playing the strong silent type is very difficult and, and for me was unrewarding. I was very disappointed that <clears throat> I didn't get to play that character the way I wanted, which is maybe one of the reasons why I didn't like Shadowrun, is that I had this cool concept and it just died. Yeah. That's the a big problem is when... As a group, you have to remember that you're playing your character and you want your character to be a certain way, but you have to remember that you're you're a recipe and you, you, there's a bigger picture happening. Like, you're one part of this recipe and the group's not going to work if you don't buy into the way everybody else's characters work and kind of treat them in the way that helps them develop their character and make their character work. Right. Also, I mean, going back to the the inception of Dungeons and Dragons and and some of the iterations, is you usually have four standard character types. You got the fighter, the rogue, the cleric, and the wizard, and each of those have a have a specialty. So when it's time for the rogue to be sneaky, the fighter just sits back and lets the rogue be sneaky. When it's time for the wizard to throw fireballs, everybody just stands back and lets that happen. If you have somebody who keeps stepping on someone else's toes and kind of stealing moments, then it's not fun for that person who had their moment stolen. Every now and then it can work as a role play situation. Like the thief's trying to unlock the door and the fighter just kicks it down. Cause he's like, we don't have enough time. Mm-hmm. Every now and then that can be an interesting and fun situation. But if every time the thief goes to pick a lock, the fighter knocks the door down. Why would the thief even try to unlock the door anymore? And be like, just, I, I know you're going to do that. So now this skill that the thief has, which is unlocking doors has become useless. He shouldn't even have it cause he's not using it. And I think that's kind of what you're saying there. In that case, you have to know that you're part of a larger whole. And there are times when this needs to come forward and I need to step back or I need to pull you out or I need to go here. And unless everyone, not even saying they would do it intentionally wrong, 
but if they're just not realizing that they need to be a part of that story. And- I just don't, I think that that's really what it is. I think that they just don't realize. And I'm guilty of it. Oh, yeah. I'm more concerned about getting what I want out of my character and not concerned at all about what other people are getting out of their character. But what you realize is that you have a game that's not going to be fun for everybody. It's not going to be fun for you if it's not fun for the other people, too. If they're not having fun, then you're not going to have fun either. It, so you got to be conscious of of allowing the other players and their characters to develop in a way that you can help them. Yep, I agree. Well, that's probably about enough time. i got to get out of here soon anyway, so we'll go ahead and call. Unless you got anything else you want to cover? No. All right. Well, I thought it was a good discussion once we finally got around to it. Yeah. <laughs> I am going to put that other one up there. I don't know if I'll leave it up there, but it'll just be funny to hear how we went on a tangent for 15 minutes. Call it like tangent number one. And didn't talk about D&D. At all. For like 15 minutes. And for 15 minutes, maybe didn't realize that we weren't talking. <laughs> like, we were, this is a D&D podcast. Right. We're supposed to be talking about it. All right. All right. Anyways, well, thanks for having me over. Um, and... Gotta, our game is on Tuesday, and then hopefully within the next couple of weeks we'll be able to record again. Yep. Uh, that's try to get a little bit more consistent so they're not so far spread apart. A uh, couple quick things about the website. We're still seeing more traffic. Our traffic, I mean, we're not at the point ever that we're going to be, like, huge, but I'm very happy with the amount of traffic that we're getting. Uh, still not a lot of comments, uh, you know, especially on iTunes. You know, I'm not necessarily begging for it, but I do appreciate if you're listening, if you have comments positive or critical maybe it's just mostly illiterate listeners <laughs> that good that could be it <clears throat> but we always appreciate that uh, you know if we ever get comments on the website or on twitter we try to talk about them the very next podcast if we can because uh, again sometimes we just need that as a starting point too because you know we talk about what happened recently in the game and after that we're kind of done We've that's, already we've already hit everything else. Most of the time now, it seems like we're our topics are coming from something that's happened in the game the right. previous week, and I, we'd both like to cover topics that somebody else has a question right. about, or not a question. We're not you know not to give answers, but just to hear another point of view. If yeah, you're, what we think about or what we yeah. come up with, because sometimes we don't really know what we think until we start talking about it. And we want to we kind of the reason that we're looking for those comments is because we sit here and talk about what we think, but we want to know what you think about the same thing too. And so to open that dialogue. And then the last thing I want to mention is that we did sell one piece of of merchandise. I was very excited about that. Um, We have a cafe press uh, shop and 99% of the reason I did it was just so that I could buy stuff. And I've already bought like an iPhone case, a mouse pad, jockstrap, jockstrap, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. You bought a mug. But I went on the other day just to check on the site, and some random person, and I'm not going to mention any names in case it was for a gift, I don't know, but some random person that I don't know bought something with the D&D Academy logo, and it made me smile. I, I called you like, right away. I was like, holy crap, we sold something. It was the most awesome thing in the world. So I'm not telling you anybody to go buy anything, but it is there if you're interested. Uh, and then if there's anything that you would like to buy uh, that's not on there, I had to set up a shop when I first did it just to get it up there. So, like, if you want to buy X and it's not on there, it's probably because I haven't set it up yet. What was the girl's uh, name that did the logo? Uh, J. Dot Sloan. She's also on Twitter, I think, at J. Dot Sloan. She uh, did a good job. So, yeah, she did uh, really. She, actually, she also has a comment, uh, a web comic that she does. It's uh, Vanity Games, is I think the name of her website. And she does like a weekly or daily comic uh, about her life and D&D and that kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, did did a great job. I'm very happy with how it turned out. So, 
All right, that's enough of a plug because we're never going to make enough money to make like, like we're still so far behind in our costs on what we pay for the website and the equipment. It's not like we're trying to make money, but it did make me very happy. I to think know. you're more behind because have I still paid you for no, this? No, you thing? still owe me money. Yeah. All right. All, All right. right. Well, that'll wrap up this week. If, if Evan's leg is broke next time, you'll know he still has to pay. <laughs> All right, you guys. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it. This has been Michael and Evan. We'll see you next time. See you later. You can give us feedback and comments at our website, dndacademy.com. You can check out previous podcasts at our website and subscribe to future ones on iTunes. If you have a suggestion for a topic, we'd love to hear it. Email your ideas to podcast at dndacademy.com, and you can connect with us on Twitter at dnd underscore academy. As always, thanks for listening, and remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.